Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. We're going to be dealing with something tonight. Uh, in fact, we're going to be dealing with understanding God's prophetic revelation. Understanding God's prophetic revelation. And uh, you'll understand more about, about why we titled it and called it what we did. Uh, By way of introduction, uh, before we read tonight, and, and I guess we kind of give our age by some of the things we say, but I'm going to tell you about a little story that took place uh, in 1969. I wasn't that old at that point, but in 1969, uh, a gentleman by the name of Hal Lindsey, and uh I see some people shaking their heads in recognition of the name Hal Lindsey. Uh, he was a gentleman that was big in prophecy. And he was busy in 1969 writing his book, which was titled The Late Great Planet Earth. And it was a book of prophecy. Uh, was called Book of Prophecy. He would beg the interns, the, um, the seminary interns that were working there with him, he would beg them at that point in time to go out to all of the Bible bookstores or the Christian bookstores that they could go to and try to convince them that they needed to buy this book. The reason he did that, of course, was because he wanted to sell the book, wanted to make the royalties from the book, but one of the reasons he did that is because he didn't think that anybody was going to buy it. But we found out that not only did people buy it, it turned out to sell over 15 million copies. It turned out to be the best-selling book of the decade. And the reason I told you that story is this. If you want to write a bestseller, write a book on prophecy. If you want to pack a church, put on a conference on prophecy. Uh, for some strange reason, and I can't quite figure it out, never have been able to figure it out, Christians and non-Christians alike flock to prophecy. They, wanna, they want questions answered. They want questions answered like, will Christians go through the tribulation? Who is the Antichrist? What will trigger the Armageddon? Does Israel have a divine right to the land they possess? Will they tear down the dome of the rock mosque and set up the temple? 
What about Palestine? While these are fascinating subjects, they seem to draw the attention. And it seems as though when you have these times of prophecy, when you have these times of, of prophetic meetings or conferences, when you have those times, it seems like everybody walks away from the conference the same way they went to the conference. The reason is, is because nobody knows. Right. And nobody has the answer. Uh, God does not put prophecy in its place to have us sit down at a table and put a puzzle together. That's not God's reason for prophecy. That's not God's reason for prophetic things. And we're going to see that as we go down through this scripture this evening. Um, by way of contrast, biblical prophecy always gives us a practical effect. God has it there for a reason. And we're going to see that as we look at this scripture this evening. It calls sinners to repent before, coming, before the coming judgment. God is mentioning the judgment to call a group of people to repentance. It comforts believers with God's sovereignty over the world's events, that God is in charge of all things. And it exhorts believers toward holiness. God's reason for prophecy is not for us to think we have some mystical answers to some mystery that is set before us. God has what he has for a reason. And I said all of that for this reason. There is something that God mentions in this passage of Scripture and uses the Apostle Paul to mention in this passage of Scripture that is futuristic. And if we were to stand here and try to to when that's going to happen, we'd never leave because only God knows that answer. But God has a specific reason as to why he gave us what he gave us and we're going to get into this passage of scripture, pray, and then we'll look into the message that God has for us this evening. The book of Romans, chapter number 11, we'll pick up in verse number 25 and we'll read down through verse number 27. Paul uses a phrase that he has used over and over again, a phrase in which you and I have become acquainted with, a phrase that we, when we hear it, we think of the Apostle Paul. He makes a statement here in verse number 25, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant. He said, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Paul, if we would, if we stop 
and consider this verse of Scripture, we see that the Apostle Paul is giving us direction as to why this mystery is here and why God has said it before us. He told us in this verse of Scripture, he said, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Kindness in part is happened to Israel until, and this is where that matter that I hate to use the word mystical, but it, it is something we don't have a as to when it's going to happen. He says here in the latter part of that, that the blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer and shall turn away ungod the ungodliness of, uh, from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sin. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us together, together, corporately around your word. We thank you for the privilege. We thank you how it was mentioned even in our openings and in the scripture reading this morning, how important corporate worship is for us, that it is an encouragement to each of us. And even as Jeffrey mentioned this morning, I do not necessarily come to church for me. I come to church for others and others come to church for myself. Lord, we're here to be an encouragement to one another. We're here to lift up one another's burdens. We're here to pray together, to sing together, to worship together, together around your word. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the privilege and opportunity you've given us to be able to do that and be able to uh, call ourselves together as a church. And Lord, we ask it now that as we gather around your word that you would magnify yourself, that you would once again glorify yourself. Uh, Lord, that you would edify yourself, that you may be seen as you are. And Lord, for this, we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise for all that you do to make that happen in our in our presence, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. In the case of the text that we're looking at, it is aimed on one purpose. And we looked at that last week. We, we began to look at the fact that this scripture that we're considering and the scripture that we considered last week was for the purpose of curbing our spiritual pride. That's what we looked at last week, that we were, not to, we were not to be spiritually proud. And what's taking place as we look at this, God has, through His sovereignty, hardened the heart of Israel. And in hardening the heart of Israel, God through His sovereignty has opened the door for the hearts of the Gentiles. For them to come to Him in salvation. 
And Paul is telling us that we're not to be lifted up in that pride. And that's what was happening. That's place in this scripture, the Gentiles, because of the hardening of the heart of the Jews, they were looking down on the Jews and saying, you've turned away from God and because you've turned away from God, we have began to see God and because of that, you're much lower than we are. You've turned away from God. And that's where they had gotten to and that's what Paul's dealing with as he's looking at this. And he does that. He talked to us last about that, that olive tree and those, uh, those branches being grafted in and dealt with that. But he's telling us now that he said, I would, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Paul was telling them just as, and we're going we're gonna to dive into this and look at this more in depth in just a moment, but Paul was basically telling them, don't lift yourself up so much because God has hardened the hearts. And by the way, God hardened the heart of Israel because Israel hardened their heart. Because Israel chose to have a hard heart toward God. Because Israel was the ones re recalled them at the cross. Recalled them at, at the days before the cross. They, they said, crucify him, crucify him. They said, we have no part of him. And they even made the statement, let his blood be upon us and upon our children said. They had hardened their hearts toward God and therefore God said okay if that's what you want you go ahead. And God began to save in multitudes those Gentiles and God did that not because of the Jews turning away but did that he opened up the flood if you will, and cause the Gentiles to see the truth of the Scripture. If God had not done that, the Gentiles would not have been saved. And that's what they're misunderstanding. That's what they're not getting a hold of is, it is the sovereignty of God that as Jews hardened their heart and as God hardened their heart because of their hardening of their heart, God deals mainly with the Gentiles. And if we're not careful, we even in the day and age that we're living in, we'll get haughty because we think we know something that someone else doesn't know. We'll get haughty because we think we have a truth that someone else doesn't have. And as we began to look at this passage of Scripture, we understand that God has this in place for the very reasons that I've already mentioned. He has it in place to call sinners to repent before judgment comes. He has it in place to comfort believers as to God's sovereignty in the events of the world. He has it in place to exhort believers toward holiness. 
In the case of this text, it is aimed on curbing our pride. Paul begins this in, in verse number 25 by making the statement, lest ye should be wise, what? In your own conceits. Paul said, don't get haughty. Don't get haughty in, in the situation you're in. Don't get haughty because you're beginning to see things in Scripture, because you're beginning to be born again, because you're beginning to see the truth of God. Don't get haughty in that because it is God who has revealed that to you. You and I would have no knowledge of Scripture if God had not revealed that knowledge of Scripture. We did not gain that knowledge because we, and, and, and don't misunderstand me, we did not gain that knowledge because we listened to somebody preach. We did not gain that knowledge because we went to some class somewhere. We ultimately gained the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because God turned on a light in our hearts. Miss Amy sang that this morning. When God turns on that light, it is only God that can reveal to us our need for salvation. As we have seen in Romans chapter number 11, verse number 1 through verse number 10, Paul shows that God's rejection of Israel is partial. It's not total. He did not just cut them off, but he cut those off that had hardened their hearts. Those that still believe in him, those that are the remnant of Israel, still walk in the graces of God. Now, as a, as a national whole, they're walking away from God. Why? Because they have turned away from God. They have hardened their hearts. As we consider this, there's a remnant according to God's gracious choice. In, in chapter 11, verse 11 through 32, he shows that God's rejection of Israel is temporary. It's not permanent. God will restore the Jews as a nation and pour out his covenant blessings upon them because if he does not, he's not a covenant-keeping God. So therefore, we know that God is going to because God is a covenant-keeping God. Martin Lloyd-Jones observes what Paul is saying here with five different arguments. And, and, and as he looks at Romans chapter number 11, verse 1 through 24, he says that God is not finished with the Jews, first of all, because Paul himself said that he was proof that Jews could be saved by God. We see that in, in chapter number 11, verse number 1. Secondly, Paul shows that God has preserved a remnant of saved Jews. He tells us that in, in verse number 2 through verse number 6. Thirdly, he tells us 
that God uses two parallel illustrations or Paul uses two parallel illustrations to show us that because of God's promises to the patriarchs, God will bless their descendants once again. He tells us that in verse number 16. Then fourthly, he argues that God is able to graft the Jews back into the olive tree and he tells us that in verse number 23. Then verse number 24, he argues that God has done, uh, God has done with the Gentiles proves that he is able to do it in the case of the Jews also. And that's what Paul says. Just as he has done the Jews, he can also do with the Gentiles. And just as he has done with the Gentiles, he can also do with the Jews. And God can do as he chooses because he Paul ends his argument and makes a prophetic revelation. God had, has revealed something to Paul, and this is what I want us to consider as we look at the understanding God's prophetic revelation of salvation history should curb the pride of we who realize God's sovereign plan in the history of man. God is sovereign in what he does. Paul's opening phrase is, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant. He frequently uses that. He uses that in Romans chapter 1 and verse 13. He uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 1 and chapter 12 verse number 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 8 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 13. Paul says over and over again, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand this. Paul did not want, Paul, Paul's very hard, and we've seen it in the book of Romans, have we not? That Paul's very hard is, Paul said, I would that I could be accursed that my brethren could be saved. Paul's desire was that they be born again. So Paul was telling them that he wanted them to be saved. The matters we are dealing with here are and not a theological speculation. I think what, what happens sometimes if we're not careful, when we look at things of prophecy, people try to make a theological speculation. I, I can recall some of the men that I had the most respect in I can recall even in when, when we had Y2K was coming. I mean, some men that I had the utmost respect in made some prophetical statements that this is going to happen and this is going to bring this about and this is going to make this happen and all of these things are going to happen and it's going to lay out just like this and it never happened like they said it was going to happen. Why? Because if it would, they would have known the bind of God. What we've got to understand is we do not understand God. Amen. We do not understand God's working. We take what God said in His Word as truth. We take it for reality, but we do not understand why God does what God does, nor do we need to understand why God does what God does. God does what God does because God is God. Amen. 
And God can do whatever he chooses to do. And we need to be careful to understand that. As we look at this, this ministry that comes up in this verse of Scripture, that is the thing that drives so many people to looking into something. We've got to understand this mystery. We've got to understand what's going on. But understand as we look at this word mystery, this word mystery does not refer to some puzzle where we have to use our reason and piece together what God said. I, I don't mind putting a puzzle together. I don't mind sitting down and putting a puzzle. I think that is, I, I think that causes your mind to work. I think, it, I think it's good for you. I think it's good for you mentally to do things like that every so often. But I'm going to tell you something. You and I are not God's puzzle putter together. Right, and I know that's not probably not grammatically correct, but we are not the ones putting God's puzzle together. In fact, God don't have a puzzle. God's got a picture. And he's just asking us to look at the picture. And that picture is the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that God gives us points us back to Christ. It doesn't point us to some picture of this event that's going to happen. Every picture that God gives us, every snapshot that God allows us to see, points us to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it does not point us to the saving graces of Christ, we are not seeing it correctly. We're not looking at it in the right way. It is not for us to figure out what's going on. It, it, it is not some contrary, mysterious, religious thing. In fact, it doesn't matter if it was the religious, mysterious things of Paul's day, or it doesn't matter if it's the mysterious things that we see in our day. God uses these things to bring about some practical things in our life. And the practical thing that God is pointing at and looking at in this passage of Scripture is He's wanting to curb our spiritual pride that we have. As we consider this, there are three elements of the, of the mystery that we find in Romans chapter number 11, verse number 25. Part of Israel was hardened for a limited period of time. And that's just taking God at what God said. The salvation of the Gentiles will precede the salvation of Israel. And all Israel will eventually be saved. Now we're going we're gonna to look at that word all here in just a minute and understand what God's saying when he says all. But understand this, God has given us what we need from this passage of Scripture and it is not for us to put some kind of puzzle together. Paul may have understood these truths through his meditation of the Old Testament. Jeffrey mentioned this, this evening in our, in our opening statements, he mentioned the fact that that is the reason why we look into the Old Testament. 
That is the reason why we preach through the books of the Old Testament. That is the reason we don't sideline that and put it up on a shelf somewhere and think that we have no need of it. Our problem is, in most churches today, our problem is we put the Old Testament on a shelf and Israel's problem is they put the New Testament on a shelf. When we need both. We need to look through both and allow God to show us that picture that He has for us. We understand that the hardening would be lifted and all Israel would be saved. God had revealed these truths to the Apostle Paul who conveyed them to us. Otherwise, we could not have understood them. I mentioned just a moment ago, you and I do not have the saving knowledge of Christ because we went to church and sat down and somebody preached to us. God revealed that to us, but God did use that preaching of the graces of God to reveal those truths to us. But if God had not turned on the light, we would still be in darkness. You and I cannot turn that light on ourselves. Understand this, the prophetic revelation concerning God's sovereignty working in salvation history. As we've already seen, as we've been going through the book of Romans, understand that Romans chapter number 9 emphasizes sovereignty and shows in His showing mercy to whom he will show mercy and him hardening whom he will harden. Is that not what we saw in the book of Romans number 9? Romans chapter number 10 emphasizes the human responsibility. It said, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But Israel stubbornly refused to believe. That's what he told us in chapter number 10 and verse number 21. In Romans chapter number 11, verse number 20 through 23, the emphasis is on human responsibility to believe Christ and to persevere. But from chapter number 11, verse 23 through 29, there is an emphasis once again on the sovereignty of God. He is able to graft Israel in again. We see that in verse 23 through 24. He has hardened Israel due to Israel's hardening of their own heart. During which time he brings in the Gentiles and allows them to see the sovereign graces of God. And they're getting saved by great number. But after that time, God will once again put hardness upon the hearts of the Gentiles. Why will he do that? Because we will harden our hearts. And God will allow us to go the way we want to go. God is, God is allowing us to have what we're wanting to have. When we openly refuse what he has for us and we harden our hearts toward him, God allows our hearts to continue to harden. And God will once again turn back to the Jews and they too will be saved. Understand as we 
as we look at this. And, and I think some people have a misunderstanding of this. There is not two avenues of salvation. There's not an avenue of salvation for the Jew and a different avenue of salvation for the Gentiles. It is all one salvation and it is all one way and that is through the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are God's unsearchable judgments and unfathomable ways that Paul burst into. Look at what he says in this same chapter in verse number 33. In chapter number uh, 11 and verse number 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You and I can understand that God, that there is no way that we could fathom everything. There, there's no way that we could. That is the reason that we just seem like we skim the surface most of the time. Because we, 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 we have a desire to know the things of God. Yea, the deep things of God. But we can never fully grasp or fully understand the depth of God. Paul said he didn't understand the length or, nor the breadth nor the width. Uh, width or the uh, or he didn't understand all of the all about the love of God. You and I can't understand all those things that God has. God is powerful to harden nations and to lift that hardening according to His own sovereign purposes. He tells us that and gives us that. Not only that, the, the future salvation of Israel is not just a possibility, but it is a certainty. Why? Why do we know that it is a certainty? Because God declared it. And whatever God declares, we can rest in. Paul is not experiencing a or expressing a holy wish. Paul is expressing a truth that, that they will be saved. But what does all mean? When Paul's talking about all of Israel being saved, most commentators agree that it does not mean every single Jew who has ever lived or every Jew living in the end times when the hardness is lifted. The, the phrase, all Israel, is used often in the Old Testament. It refers to most of the nation, but not to every single Jew. You can find that in Joshua chapter 7, verse 25. You can find it in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 5. You can find it in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 22. You can find it in 1 Kings chapter 12, and verse number 1. You can find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse number 1, and so on, and so on, and so on. What are you saying? I'm saying that God, just because the statement is made, all of Israel will be saved, He is talking about the bulk of the nation. When, when God lifts that hardening from them, the bulk of the nation will turn to God and they will see Jesus Christ. 
as their Messiah. What a blessing when that time comes. So Paul's meaning of all of Israel is that after the fullness of the Gentiles has come. When is the fullness of the Gentiles? When is that going to be? Whenever God so chooses that it be. When God has saved those Gentiles that are to be saved, the bulk of the Gentiles as they, as they are being saved today, as that closes, God will turn to the Jews again and began to deal with them. Understand this evening the future salvation of Israel includes the coming of the deliverer. The removal of all ungodliness and the forgiveness of sins according to God's covenant with Israel. I'll give you a couple of things and I'll, I'll try to cap this and be done. First of all, we need to understand five different things. We need to understand that Israel and the Gentiles are both saved the same way. They're both saved through the saving faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're both saved according to and by the grace of God. Again, it is the sovereignty of God that allows us to see His graces, that allows us to experience His graces, and allows us to experience the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some wrongly teach that there are two different ways, but there is only one way. There is only one way. There has always been only one way. And that is namely to trust God's provision of a deliverer from our sin. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no salvation in any other avenue. There's no salvation in our being good. There's no salvation in us trying to attain something. All of salvation comes solely through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And understand this evening that the coming of the deliverer most likely means that Israel will be saved either just prior to or in connection with the second coming of Christ. It will be, it seems to be in scripture that it will be just prior to or, or, or just right around in connection with the second coming of Christ. Some argue that in verse 26 that Christ first, of Christ's first coming, but at that time Jesus did not remove all the ungodliness from Jacob. When Jesus came and was born, he didn't remove the ungodliness from Jacob. But Israel will. Martin Lloyd-Jones argues that it references or refers to the spiritual coming of Christ out of his spiritual dwelling place and with his people in Zion. Most commentators understand this reference to either be just prior to or at the time of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's one of the reasons they say that because in Zechariah chapter number 12 and verse number 10 it says this, I will pour out I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace 
and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Period. Perhaps even as Paul was converted at the seeing of the risen Savior, perhaps it will be that Israel too will see the risen Savior at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know, nor do you know. But what Paul is trying to get us to see is that we do not need to allow ourselves, and he was telling the Gentiles, they do not allow, need to allow themselves to be lifted up in some spiritual pride because God has set this one aside and has allowed them to see. You and I should be humbled at the fact that God has revealed unto us Scripture that he has revealed to us. The removal of the ungodliness from Jacob reminds us that there is no salvation apart from repentance. There is no salvation apart from repentance. He will remove the ungodliness of Jacob is another way of referring to salvation. The ungodliness refers to that unbelief. The reason that you got saved is because God removed the unbelief that you had toward God. The unbelief that was inbred in us because of our father Adam. The unbelief that was placed in us because we are the sons of Adam. Understand not only that, but understand the forgiveness of sins is primarily needed by every person. There's not anyone that does not need the forgiveness of sin. There is no, there is no great pope somewhere that doesn't need the forgiveness of sin. There is not, in fact, the Apostle Peter, we see over and over and over again in Scripture how he needed to plead with God to forgive him of the, the, his, his, his opening his mouth when he didn't need to open his mouth or his reacting when he didn't need to react. The same way. I mean, if I, I honestly think if I were going to start some new church movement, I would pick somebody better than the Apostle Peter. And not to say, now listen to me, the Apostle Peter's far better and far greater when it comes to the things of God than I could ever be. But I think I'd choose somebody different than the Apostle Peter to, to start and found my, my religiosity on. I'm glad, I am glad tonight that mine is not built upon the Apostle Peter, but it is solely built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. For in him there is no wrong. Understand what God was telling them when he made the statement in verse number 27 of this very chapter. He said this, he said, this is my covenant unto them when I take away their sins. God has made a covenant and God is a covenant keeping God. Understand that forgiveness of our sins is based on God's covenant provision through the Lord Jesus Christ. God made a covenant 
And that covenant provision was the Lord Jesus Christ. As he gives us this prophetic revelation, it is for us to curb that spiritual pride that we have. So let's test ourselves of God's prophetic revelation of salvation by this. Does this truth that we understand that God is sovereign, does this truth that we understand that God can do what God chooses to do, does this truth that God has set aside the Jews and has allowed us to see the truths of the Word of God and that God one day will set us aside and allow the Jews to see, does that truth humble us? as we recognize that it is by God's grace alone. It is because God chose to allow us to understand the truth of Scripture. It should humble us because it is not in us. But as Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 13, he says this, He said, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were what? Sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You and I looked at the book of Ephesians. We looked at, spent several weeks in the book of Ephesians. We understand that our coming to God is not through us, but it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, you and I have no place, and that's what Paul's trying to get them to see. We have no place for spiritual pride. Also, does this truth that you and I have, that you and I hold, that is in our heart, does this truth burden our heart for those that are outside of Christ? Does it cause us... Does us knowing the truth of God cause us to want others to know the truth of God? Or does God does us knowing the truth of God make us lift up and, and, and look around at everybody else and say, I know it, you don't. It's one of the two. And I have seen over and over in the years that I've lived, I've seen over and over those that look around and say, I don't go there. I don't say that. I don't act that way. That is the spiritual pride that God is telling us that we need to be rid of. We're we're full, if we're not careful, we're full on a daily basis of Phariseeism. Thinking that we have the truth and nobody else has the truth. And that should not lift us up in pride, but it should humble us and cause us to have a burden for those that do not know that truth. Where do we find ourselves in light of that? While God is sovereign over salvation history, as we saw, He uses those whom He has saved to proclaim the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding what God has told us in this passage of Scripture, understanding that there is a time of the Gentiles, 
There was a time of the Jews. There is a time of the Gentiles. There will be a time of the Jews again. Understanding that should cause us to fall humbly before God. It should motivate us to tell others about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it should cause us to look at God and be thankful for the graces that He reveals to us and allows us to see through His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You once again for the opportunity, for the privilege that You've given us to be able to look into Your Word.